Father God, thank you that you are a God who saves. You are a God who is gracious and merciful, uh, holy as well, blazingly um, glorious in your holiness and your justice. And yet in Christ, uh, we see your justice and your mercy meet beautifully. Uh, Thank you that um, you bring salvation and life, real life, eternal life with you through the cross of our Lord Jesus. Thank you that we learn all this through your word, the Bible. Uh, We thank you for uh, the Old and New Testaments uh, that uh, bear witness to who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And so today as we look at a passage in Isaiah, um, we uh, we just pray that you would soften our hearts, help us to really hear uh, what you would have to say to us through your powerful word today. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom to those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of dark, deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, Every warrior boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a passage, hey? Uh, but before we get there, uh, uh, leadership is in the spotlight at the moment, isn't it? Leadership is right in the spotlight. After a year of crisis, we've seen leaders rise as they kind of seem to be able to... They're probably Their legs are going under the water 100 miles an hour, but they seem to be calm on the surface. Uh, we've seen some leaders fall in disgrace. We've seen some leaders do bizarre things. One of the strange headlines that I um, was sort of uh, came across my screen this week... Uh, was this one about a new statue commissioned by the president of Turkmenistan, a giant six-metre golden statue of his favourite dog. So uh, how about that? Imagine having a leader like that. Uh, We've seen leaders rise or fall and just do strange things. Uh, But through it all, through it all, let's go to the next slide. Uh, Through it all, we just long for a leader we can trust, don't we? Um, 
all in all, us Aussies are pretty distrusting of our leaders, and often, rightly so, you know, history is littered with proud and corrupt leaders. Uh, and it, even when we do good, get good leaders, they just don't last. They have a use-by date. Um, but imagine, friends, imagine a leader who always had your best interests at heart, who would always unfailingly lead you into light and life, whose care you could just completely rest in, uh, and whose leadership would not, it would never have a use by date, would not come to an end, would never be overthrown. And friends, the news of the Christian gospel and the big news of this passage is that in Jesus Christ we do have that kind of a leader, that kind of a leader, that kind of a king. Uh, Isaiah looks ahead from the time of his writing to a coming, the coming of Jesus and, and speaks about this great eternal king. But to hear that, uh, what Isaiah says in this passage that Jim uh, read out for us, to hear that properly, we need to actually hear what's come before it. We need to hear the context of it. Um, uh, you, you hopefully picked up as we read through that Isaiah 9 starts talking about gloom and distress uh, it's a situation that Israel's leaders had led the people of Israel into. A situation of deep darkness. Uh, it's a situation that the people had willingly followed them into. And the, the, the last few chapters, chapter 7 and 8, last week we covered chapter 6. Uh, we've skipped over chapter 7 and 8 in our reading here, but we're going to cover it. And hopefully in our home groups we had a look at it as well. Uh, but chapter 7 and 8 paint this picture for us. They set the scene for this wonderful passage that was just read out for us. It's a scene of political turmoil. Uh, and chapter 7 opens up with, a, with this uh, scene of three different kings, three desperate kings. Um, at this point, God's Old Testament people were splitting two, if you remember. Um, Israel or Ephraim in the north uh, and Judah in the south. Uh, and uh, Judah's king is Ahaz. So if we can go to the um, slide, you've got Judah down the south there, and they've got uh, their king Ahaz. So go to the next slide. Uh, and then the, uh, the kingdom of Israel, just above Judah, uh, they've got their king. Uh, he's got a great name, Pekah. There's also a third king in the mix here. Uh, I couldn't find a picture of this guy, but his name's Rezin up in Syria. And so I've just got a picture of Rezin instead. Uh, so we've got Ahaz down in Judah. Pekah in Israel, and then Rezin up in this kingdom of Aram up in the north, um, also called Syria. There's lots of names in these chapters, and if you read through them during the week, you might have got a bit confused, but you've got to kind of try and keep track of the names. And what's happening is at this time that Isaiah is writing is that the, the two kings on top there, Rezin and Pekah, Aram and Israel, um, <clears throat> they are feeling the heat. These guys are feeling the heat from a fourth king, a fourth king, who is this guy. Uh, Tiglath-Pileser III, another great name. He was the king of the powerful country of Assyria. And at this point, Assyria are ruthlessly expanding their empire. So the two guys, Rezin and Pekah at the top there, they're really feeling the heat from, from Tiglath-Pileser, from Assyria. Uh, and so what they do is they team up. Rezin and Pekah team up with each other. They form an alliance. Uh, and... They want Judah to join with them in this alliance against Assyria. And they're not asking nicely. If you go to the next slide, they are insisting on it. 
and so at this point, you've got these two kings, Pekah and Rezim. They're marching against Judah down the south, against Ahaz, in order to get rid of him. They want to put a puppet king in place and sort of force Judah to join this alliance. So Ahaz down the bottom, and um, Isaiah is down the south with Ahaz down there. So Ahaz is shaking his boots. He's terrified by these two kings. But he's also terrified by Tiglath by Leza, uh, and he doesn't want to give up control. He doesn't know what to, he's in a bind. And it's into this situation that God sends Isaiah. God sends Isaiah uh, to give a message to Ahaz. He tells Ahaz not to worry, not to fear these other desperate kings, but to trust him. This should come up on the screen um, from chapter 7, verse 7. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Oh, I don't have up. Sorry, that's my bad. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Just listen. Uh, this is what Isaiah's message to um, Ahaz was. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. That's uh, Pekah. And Isaiah says this to King Ahaz down the bottom. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Don't stand firm in your faith. So you get the picture. Ahaz is under immense pressure. God sends Isaiah to him and says, Don't fear these guys. I know from, a, from the perspective of that you can see, it's terrifying. But it's not. I've got this. Trust me. And if you don't trust me, you won't stand at all. And the sad story of Ahaz is that he doesn't trust God. Uh, he doesn't stand firm in his faith. In fact, he ends up putting his trust in um, the other king, the destroyer king, Tiglath-Pileser III. He, he tries to form an alliance with him, and that doesn't go very well at all. Anyway, there's lots of details that's sort of in the mix, but that's basically what's going on in the background of these chapters. Uh, these three desperate kings. But there's another thing going on here. There's another thing. Throughout chapter 7 and 8, the camera shifts to a really unexpected focus. It goes from these big geopolitical events, these big kings... These three kings, and it's, it zooms right down from the kings to three kids, three children. And the thing about these kids is they all have significant names. Uh, some of us might know what our names mean. You might have a significant name. My name means brown warrior, which for a pasty white guy who's never been in a fight, I think fits me quite well. Um, but anyway, there's, uh, there's three kids in this, these chapters as well. Three kings and three kids with significant names. Uh, the first one is this guy, Shia Jashub. He's Isaiah's kid. And Isaiah takes him with him when he goes to talk to Ahaz. This isn't take your kid to work day. Uh, Isaiah is told by God to take Shia Jashub with him because his name means, you can see it there, a remnant will return. We've already heard God's great promise of this remnant, this hope through judgment, uh, this shoot uh, and, and Ahaz takes his son with him when he talks to um, Isaiah takes his son when he talks to Ahaz as a reminder of God's great promise that God's plan that he's got this and all Ahaz needs to do is to trust him it's an invitation to Ahaz to trust God uh, but when Ahaz refuses to do that he refuses to trust God Isaiah tells him about another child another child another son who would be called who would be born whose name would also be a sign. Uh, and what a name. Uh, the child would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Now, at this point, don't jump too quickly to the New Testament. We will get there where we'll see that this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, but in the first place, Isaiah's probably talking about a child that was born to a young woman in Isaiah's own time. Uh, the word virgin in Hebrew uh, it, it can mean a range of meanings, including a young woman of uh, marriageable age. So, and there's lots of discussion about this, and we're not going to get into it, about who this child might be. But this child's name would point towards an incredible reality. He would be a sign of God coming to be with his people. How amazing is that? But, remember last week, remember Isaiah 6? Who is God? Who is God? He is the sovereign, holy, almighty Lord of creation. And at this point, as Isaiah writes this, and at this point, this God coming to his people is not going to be comfortable news. He would be coming in judgment coming on judgment on those two north kingdoms, Aram and Israel, but also also Judah as well, using the nation of Assyria. Uh, in verse 17, we read that before this Emmanuel child reaches even reaches maturity, the Lord will bring on you and your people and on your, the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So at this point, this Emmanuel Name God with us. At this point, it's not cheery news. The holy, righteous Lord would come to his rebellious people in judgment. And that's what you see when you get to the third child. Three kings, three kids. The third kid's name has the best name in the Bible, I reckon. Uh, if you know any expectant parents, perhaps you could suggest this. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. There you go, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Uh, which means... Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Uh, so God tells Isaiah to name his new baby this name, Mahashalal Hashbaz. Bit of a mouthful, but it's a significant name. It means something. It points to something. The child's name would point to this coming overwhelming force of Assyria who would sweep away its enemies like a flood. And so you get to the end of chapter 8 and it's a dark, dire situation It's a situation of failed leadership. It's a situation of a people in crisis. And you get this, it's a chaotic situation. They're turning every which way. By the end of chapter 8, the people are turning to dark occult forces for guidance in this darkness. But that's like like kind of entering a cave to escape the darkness of night. It's just going to lead you into further darkness, deeper darkness. Um, By the end of chapter 8, this is what you get. People are distressed, in verse 21, distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they'll become enraged and looking upward, they'll curse their king and their God. And they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and will be thrust into utter darkness. See, what these people going through this didn't see was that this wasn't just random politics. It was the deliberate and just judgment of God. And the only place to turn when you're faced with the judgment of God is to God himself. Is to God himself. Not to rage against him or curse him, but to come to him with humble, repentant hearts, clinging to his mercy. That's what Isaiah does. Uh, In Isaiah 8 verse 17, we read that uh, Isaiah writes, "I I will wait for the Lord 
uh, who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. So that's the setting for this chapter, this wonderful, incredible passage in chapter 9. And what Isaiah shows now is that God's judgment is not the last word. It's not the end. God would not hide his face forever. His plan that uh, we've been looking at through Isaiah, his plan did involve judgment for Israel. But it was also a plan, remember, of a great transformation. A great renewal for a new life for those who would trust God. And so into this darkness, God declares this, Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Uh, Those lands, by the way, are the very area in the north of Israel that first felt Assyria's heat. (laughs) Assyria first sort of took over. Uh, in the past, he humbled those lands up in the north. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's such a powerful image, isn't it? There's people who have walked into the cave and living under deep, thick... Have you ever been in that kind of thick darkness, so thick you can't even see your hand in front of you? Sort of makes me a little bit claustrophobic just thinking about it, to be honest. Deep, thick darkness. Just when it seems like the darkness has won, suddenly a light. A light begins to shine. And not just a tiny light. It's not just like the little sort of dull torch next to your bed that you stumble to the um, bathroom in the middle of the night with, this would, is more like kind of waking up to a floodlight. <laughs> Not just a small light, they have seen in verse 2, a great light. It's the light of the dawning of the sun, from which the darkness flees. This is the light of all mankind. The light that shines into the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So can you sense the relief here? (laughs) I mean, this chapter that Jim read out for us is so wonderful in itself. But since we're supposed to sense the utter transformation and relief off the back of those earlier chapters. The flood of darkness is overwhelmed by a far greater flood of light. Uh, And that light would turn their anxious distress to an overflowing joy. See that in verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing their plunder. This this transformation, right? They're going to let their hair down and just rejoice. They're just going to laugh and be filled with thankful joy before the God who has shone his light into their darkness. Uh, And that joy is linked to a very real freedom that these people experience because of this light coming. Um, We'll think more about this next week in the next few chapters. But God's judgment on his people uh, of Israel took the form of exile under foreign oppressors. But now Isaiah says that would be over. The the oppression they were under would be turned to freedom. Verse 4 
For as in the day of Midian's defeat, there was a great miraculous victory back in the book of Judges. You can uh, look it up. A great miraculous but As in Midian's defeat, you, God, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And just remember back in Isaiah 2, uh, if you can remember that far back, um, there'll be no more use for any weapons of war. Back then they'd be turned into garden, in, garden tools. But here every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning fuel for the fire. There'll be no need for any of those things. It's an incredible, incredible transformation. And what would bring it about? What would bring it about? Well, here's the focal point of this whole section, this, this passage. Uh, it is the high point. Uh, as Isaiah looks ahead and says, there would be another child born. Another king would take the throne. And this king is an utter contrast to all those other ones, <laughs> those failed kings in chapter 7 and 8. Here is a leader who is both strong and gentle, who is exalted and lowly. Uh, here is one who those who are burdened and heavy laden could come to, and he would give them rest for their souls. Here is one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called names that can ultimately only apply to God himself. He will be called, or he will be the ultimate Emmanuel, the true Emmanuel. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, and this divine son wouldn't just be here and gone. He wouldn't be like all those other leaders that have their use by day. He would be the eternal king of kings. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And just in case, just in case you needed any more assurance, any more confidence... <laughs> Isaiah finishes this incredible vision by saying that the zeal of the Lord Almighty, and now that we've read Isaiah 6, perhaps we can have a bigger vision of what that means. The zeal of the sovereign, holy Lord of the universe, the passionate, fixed determination of that awesome God will accomplish this will accomplish this. It will be done. And so, friends, can you imagine 700 years later after this, 700, uh, 700 years of waiting, of darkness, can, can you imagine the anticipation, the electricity, <laughs> as Jesus goes to the very area that Isaiah said this light would, would first shine? He goes up to the Lake of Galilee, the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And he begins to preach about the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Imagine the thrill. Do you ever think about this, the gospel writers? Imagine the thrill of the gospel writer Matthew uh, as he puts his 
quill, probably, I don't know, <laughs> to his parchment. And he writes in Matthew 4, verse 14, that this was, this was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Can you believe it? The light, the great light to chase away the deep darkness, the light that shines on those living in the land of the shadow of death, that light has dawned. He's here. He's here. And he really is Emmanuel. He's God with us, not just in name, but as a, not just as a sign, but as a reality. The sovereign Lord enters his creation. And the miracle is that this time, this Holy One comes to his people, not in judgment, uh, but in order to save them from their sins by taking that judgment on himself. Here is one at last. Here is the one Lord, the one leader that you can trust utterly, completely, wholeheartedly, and so I just want to um, speak especially to those being baptised today. <laughs> um, it's so wonderful that you're taking this step. Part of what you'll be publicly promising as we head down later is that with God's help, you will follow Jesus throughout your life. So Isaiah 9 is just a great passage to reflect on as you make that promise. And it's a great passage for all of us, actually, as we reflect on those things for ourselves. Because if by faith we hear and receive this word rightly today, friends, we'll be able to, by God's power, by his spirit at work within us, we'll be able to say, of course I'll follow him. Of course. <laughs> He's my light. He's my joy. He's my freedom. He's the light of the world. He's the joy of the world. He's the freedom for the world. And to follow him, to be his subject, to trust him, ah, oh, that's just a delight. Who else could I turn to? We still live in a day of darkness and gloom. But while we still live in it, something has changed. We still live under death's dark shadow. But the light has already dawned. The light has already dawned and we can trust and follow this king now. Knowing that there will be a day when his light will fully rise on all creation. When Emmanuel will come again to finally bring an end to the darkness. To all evil and sin and suffering and death and to make everything new. And friends, the zeal the Lord Almighty he accomplished this 2,000 years ago and he, that same zeal will accomplish it again can I pray for us thank you our God for our King our good Lord thank you for Jesus Lord we ask now that you might keep us from the faithlessness of Ahaz. You might enable us to trust you, even in the darkness. Uh, we thank you that we are in such an even more wonderful position even than Isaiah himself because we have seen the dawning of this light 
And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a certain guarantee that that light will shine and will overtake the whole world. So help us, we pray, to trust him and follow him. In his name we pray.